We are starting today a series uh, that we've entitled Relationships, a Glorious Mess. And um, I have put quite a bit of thought and prayer into this series um, over the last several months, really looking forward to this. And you ask why. Let me explain it. Um, I was driving down 2nd this week on my way to the downtown Y, and I noticed that they're tearing down a building. And um, as I saw that, I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, a lot of people in downtown renovate buildings, but they're tearing this building down. They're going to build something in its place. And I thought, well, what must have happened is someone with some knowledge looked at that building and discerned that it would be better to tear it down and rebuild than to renovate. And as I think about our perspective on relationships, our understanding and our practice of relationships in our day, in the church and outside of the church, whether it be marriage, friendship, dating, parenting, whatever relational category you're thinking and living, um, I believe where we are in our culture today is at a point where we basically need to tear down our understanding and start all over. Um, it's not doing us any good uh, to paint a wall here and to paint a wall there, but we just need to go back to the beginning. And I know the skepticism immediately uh, because I'm a highly skeptical guy myself. And I know some of you in here, out of fear um, and just out of skepticism, are going to say, well, I mean, I've read every book there is. I, you know, um, I'm, just, I'm tired of hearing about relationships. Um, someone else may say, well... You know, I'm single, and I, I know what's coming, so I'm just going to skip the next several weeks because I know you're going to make me feel bad like a second-class citizen, and I'm nothing unless I'm married, and so why even come, you know? Um, or some of you may say, you know what, I've tried and tried and tried, and I've given up. Um, I, I've been hurt in my friendships. I've been hurt uh, by churches. I've been hurt by uh, a spouse. I've been hurt. I've been abused. Whatever. And, and I'm just getting close enough to, to manage relationships, but not really be in close relationships. So, what is our hope? Um, why am I asking you to, to go to work, really? Um, two reasons. The first is this. Um, most talk on relationships and teaching on relationships... Uh, tells us what to do, but not really why to do it. Um, I think that where we're coming from in this series is crucial. Um, You see, the purpose that God has given us for relationships is this. The purpose of our relationships is to know God and glorify God so that we might be some good to somebody else as we become more like Him. To know God and glorify God, that is the ultimate purpose of our relationships. And I'm telling you, most are not telling us that. Uh, You see, most are giving us skills. um, How to communicate. How to, to, you know, be a better friend. How to be more patient. You know, just have one date night a week. Make your wife... All these little strategies, but few are talking about what the end result is. And let's just say we were building a building this morning. I would never come in here and say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to hammer. I'm going to teach you how to pour concrete. I'm going to teach you how to wire a room uh, for electricity. But we're going to have no plan. I mean, the key is for us just to get good at pouring concrete, get good at painting walls, and get good at at wiring houses. But there's no plan, but y'all go do it. Just get good at it. I mean, we're going to have a mess on our hands, and that's what's happening today. 
we're doing a lot of things because we can't live without relationships, and yet we don't really understand the whole premise of relationships. The whole premise of relationships is that we might know God and ourselves, that we might bring glory to Him and some good to somebody else around us as we become more like Him. The second reason that I think um, this is going to be different is because of the context within which we're doing this. Uh, We're doing this as a church body. You see, if... And this is the context that God would have us do it. If I'm struggling in my marriage, I could take Tim Keller's book or Mark Driscoll's new book and go into my, you know, into a closet and read it and just try to master it and try to be a better husband. But the Bible tells me that that's not enough. You see, I can even take the Bible and read it from beginning to end and take every passage that relates to marriage and get it in my head and just get more knowledge... But the Bible tells me that's not enough. You see, I can't be a better husband without you. You can't be a better friend without me. We can't date well without each other. We can't be good wives, good parents, good children without each other. And this is why. Um, I am blind to my sin, and much of the time I'm not going to believe my wife when she's pointing it out to me. So I've got to go to Rick over here. I've got to say, brother, am I really that bad? And he's, it's his responsibility to say, brother, and worse. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go home. I mean, do you see that's how it works? It's not a static thing. It's an organic thing. It's not just getting the right tools. It's working it out in a relationship. And, and God has given us the context to do that. And it's called the church. You know why? Because I'm not going to teach you, because the Scriptures don't teach you, uh, get your marriage together so you can be a good church member like the rest of us. You know? Get content being single and stop whatever. Uh, Get pure, you single people, so you can be as good as the rest of us. No. The Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we aren't soldiers, some of us succeeding, some of us failing. We are all wounded soldiers who need to be healed up by the gospel. (laughs) And we've got to do this in community. So therefore, if you're hurting, then somebody here better know about it. Don't suffer alone. Because you can't get better alone. If you're struggling with a sin, share it with somebody. You say, I've done that before and I've been hurt. We'll do it again. And I can't guarantee you're not going to get hurt. I'm sick of trying. Well, guess what? God doesn't let you off the hook, and He provides tremendous hope. That's what I want us to look at this morning. And so let's do that. And our first uh, title for this first sermon is, uh, Christian Relationships are, are Really Our Only Hope. It's only those that are believers in Jesus Christ that have the hope of really realizing the purpose of relationships. That sounds awfully exclusive and cruel, but... Let's throw it out there. And to do that, let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And um, basically just 1a. This is how the Bible starts and how we must start as we think about relationships. Here's what God says in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, we need you. Well, Jesus, I thank you the success of this.
teaching does not depend on the success of my marriage or my performance as a husband or a friend or a father or a son. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us so much more hope than that. You give us yourself. You promise to dwell in our midst, in the midst of our relationships, to sanctify us, to grow us, that we might glorify you and be some good to this world. So come, Lord Jesus, do something in us. Oh, how we need it. I thank you for what you're doing, what you have done, and what you're going to do in my own heart. Father, I pray um, that you would, you would exceed our expectations because that's, how, that's just how you work. You do exceeding abundantly beyond what we ask or can even imagine. So come now to the one who's hurting. Come now to the one who's skeptical and give them hope. And Father, come to the one who's prideful and bring humility. And may we all learn as we come to the foot of the cross, as we hear from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one. The foundational, the foundational reality of all relationships is this. It's all about God. Your relationships are not about you. They are all about God. Now, what was Monday night? Come on, man. The national championship game. Well, the Reeves had the family over, man. We, we were throwing down the Ching's wings, the seven-layer Mexican dip, the homemade cookies. The excitement was building. You know, the national anthem was sung. We're ready for kickoff. And, and imagine, we're all in that living room or in front of that TV, and we've been thinking about it and watching interviews and all the hype, uh, which the game didn't live up to, by the way. But anyway, um, we're all there. Imagine if our two-and-a-half-year-old grandson... And Whitney and Jed's son, Braden, would have just screamed out right when the ball was about to be kicked off, I don't want to watch football, I want to watch Dora the Explorer. I mean, we would all look at him like, have you lost, you know, that ain't happening. <laughs> um, because the purpose of this night is the national championship. I want you to know that the purpose of your relationships is God. It's all about Him. All of our relationships are about Him and not us. The reason that we're giving up on our relationships, the reason for so much of our disappointment, hurt, and emptiness, and lack of satisfaction, is this underlying belief that my relationships are more about me than God. Basically, the purpose of our relationships is to change us. <laughs> That's God's purpose for your relationships. And what do we typically go to God for? To change them. And yet, in our relationships, God will not stop until He has changed us, not necessarily the other person. Is that what you want out of your marriage? Is that what you want a husband or wife for? For somebody who can change you at the deepest level and make you so uncomfortable and come to the end of yourself? Probably not. Is that what you're looking to your friends for? Is that what you're looking to your fellow church members for? To, to see them used of God to bring you to the end of yourself and change you, to expose your deepest secrets and your deepest fears? No. But dear friends, that's what God is about. 
He is about changing us through our relationships. You see, our relationships are more about sanctification than satisfaction. Our relationships are more about His will being done than our desires being met. And now you can see why you're giving up on so many relationships. Because you're going to them for happiness and satisfaction. And the person isn't providing that because that's not their job. And they're probably thinking, that's your job. And so, obvious confrontation and what, what happens. Well, they hurt me so bad. You just, we just kind of need to stay away from them. Or we have several days of quiet and coldness in our homes and marriage. Or we find another church or whatever it is. You see, it is not our responsibility to make each other happy and satisfied. It's our responsibility to be used of God in each other's lives and to let others be used of God in our lives that we might be different people. You see, God is up to something in in your relationships. Let me tell you why this is important to get. Uh, When I was in the fourth grade, my father left our house. He um, put me in his lap and said, I'm leaving. Um, We still have a relationship, but that was a pivotal moment in my life as a young man. Um, It defined me. And I can go back, uh, and I've done this with counselors, and I've told you this before. Um, A lot of my control issues, a lot of my, um, you know, the reason that I can hold people, and I do hold people at bay so much of the time, where I even can use humor or, you know, a whole host of, of tools in my war chest to hold people at bay and not really know the real me, is because I can go back to there in that day and remember that this is what people close to you do. They leave. Well, friends, how do you deal with that? Um, this is how you deal with it. If I go back and I say, well, my childhood was all about me. Poor, pitiful me. You know, my dad left. Oh, poor, pitiful me. Now, there's nothing wrong with grieving that, and I have. But there's everything wrong with holding bitterness and anger and resentment and saying, therefore, I will never love again. You see, I can believe because God says, I'm up to something, Richard, in every relationship, no matter how painful it is. I am up to something and I can redeem everything and I will redeem everything. That's my job. That's my nature. So the way that I process my childhood is I look back and I say, God was at work. And I can see some of the things he was at work doing. He was creating in me a longing for a father so that one day in the ninth grade when I would hear the gospel preached about this loving God who wanted to adopt me as his son and make me his and I can have an intimate relationship with a father who will never leave nor forsake me, I jumped on it. (laughs) And the understanding of what that meant because I lacked it was real. And so that's just one way God used something that was evil for good for me. Dear friends, do you understand that God is at work in the conflict and hurts of your life right now? Don't push that person away. Say, no, I'm staying in this. Because God is at work, especially in the conflict. How can He change us unless we're willing to embrace the conflict? It's all about God. It's not ultimately about you. 
Dear friends, He's at work. And that's good news. And then secondly, God doesn't need us. He wants us. (laughs) If we're going to think right about relationships, we've got to understand our relationship with God. He doesn't need us. He wants us as a parent wants a child. I'm beginning to get this just a little bit. Rachel and I... um, have been empty nesters now for about a year and a half. Um, and we both confessed, uh, even Rachel last night, in a, uh, we were having dinner with a, a couple who wanted to know our story, and we were telling our story. And, um, and yeah, she was talking about this, how it was scary becoming empty nesters because we got married when we were 18. Uh, we had Whitney um, eight months later, Ashley two years after that, and then Amy, I think, seven years, six or seven years after um, Ashley. And so we had children in our home for 28, 27, 28 years. So, I mean, we kept saying the whole time, man, when the kids are gone, we're going to, you know, it's going to be great. We're going to, you know, we're going to reconnect and all this stuff. And when it finally happened, we were like, is this going to be good? (laughs) You know, 28 years, you kind of wonder, I mean, do we really have a friendship here? Are we... And what we found is, yeah, I mean, not perfect, obviously. A lot of idolatry exposed in our hearts. But one thing that we're learning is, yes, our children don't define us. Why? Because in the beginning, Richard and Rachel. Do you see that? Do you understand why that is true? Um, Because in Genesis 1.27, we read, So God created man, male and female, He created them in His own image. And if you think about God, like, in other words, God didn't just throw some paint out there. He didn't just throw, you know, throw some flesh or some bones or some blood and hope for the best. He had a design to make us in His image. Therefore, the very basic thing that we know about God is He exists in a Trinitarian relationship. In other words, it's a big word for just a beautiful thing. He is the ultimate community group. He is the ultimate marriage. Father, Son, and Spirit. And you say, you know, why did, why did he make us? Because he, he needed us? Because he just got so tired? I mean, eternity's a long time. And No. He is completely independent of us. He does not need us in the least. Father, Son, and Spirit. He is love, 1 John 4 tells us. And because he is love, the very nature of love is, is, is to give away. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love is not self-seeking. The whole nature of love is to swim away from self and toward other. And so that's God. Listen to what um, Tim Keller wrote in his book, Reason for God, as he's explaining. It's one of the best chapters in that book, which is on our book table. He says, each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. That creates a dynamic pulsating dance of joy and love. So why did God create us? Because that's the nature of love. I mean, in essence, God existed in this perfect relationship of love and giving to the other and and, and praising the other. And then in the midst of that, it was like they had to explode creation and you onto the scene so that someone, they might have uh, creatures, creation in their image that could experience the joy that they had. 
And do you see now why we were made for God, why we can't understand life unless we are in relationship with God, because we were made for that. And it's why His loving kindness is better than life, because it is our life. We were made for that. God exists in perfect relationship. Why is this important? Why is this deep theology that seems kind of, okay, I understand that, but why is this so um, important to, to, to understand? Well, it reveals the nature of our relationships. In essence, it reveals the fact that we have an unavoidable need for each other. And we can run all we want. But we can't run from the reality that we need each other. Listen to Keller again. He writes, Ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. Talking about the Trinity. That's what the universe, God, history, and life is all about. If you favor money, power, accomplishment over human relationships, you will dash yourself on the rocks of reality. When Jesus said you must lose yourself in service to find yourself, He was recounting what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been doing throughout eternity. You will then never get a sense of self by standing still, as it were, and making everything revolve around your needs and interests. Unless you're willing to experience the loss of options and the individual limitation that comes from being in committed relationships... You will remain out of touch with your own nature and the nature of things. I can't tell you how huge that is. Dear friends, you can go out into this world and try to replace your need for relationship with God and others with work, money, success, sex, power, thrills, hobby, whatever you want to. But in the end, God is not going to change. He is not going to lose. You will. You will still be empty and more so because what you're eating and feeding your soul, uh, yeah, what you're feeding your soul is just more emptiness. You say you were made for something better. You were made for something more. Relationship with God and others. This also helps us understand life a little better. You see... It helps us understand God. When, when we see that, um, that God doesn't need us, but He wants us, especially as parents, we start understanding God a little bit more. When I say that, I want you to know it's hard for me to say my wife and I don't need our children to be who we are. Because I can't fathom life without our children. I mean, if something happened to one of our daughters, you would have to be there for us because there's no way we could move forward without you. I can't imagine. So how can I stand up here and have some hope and even preach to you that, you know, that, that we'd be okay? It's because of this. Because of God's relationship with me. He doesn't need me to be who He is, and I'm made in His image. Unbelievable. You see, God is the one where we derive all of our understanding about relationships. 
And so it's important to understand that we don't need God, or excuse me, that God doesn't need us. But He wants us, that He might work in our lives. You see, we'll be disappointed and disillusioned if we look to Him to be anything other than a parent who's seeking to discipline, form, teach, correct, love. And that's what we do. We go to God to be a genie in the bottle who's going who's to say yes when we go pray to Him. He's not going to be that. Why? Because He is a, in a father-child relationship with us. That defines our relationship. Um, you know, He's not going to be our lottery ticket. He's not going to be our party planner who's a, whose purpose it is to make life exciting. He's going to be our father. And because He's not dependent on us, He can give us what we need, not what we want. He can love us. He can risk relationship with us by telling us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear, because if we reject Him, He still stays and remains God, Father, Son, and Spirit, completely independent of us. But because He's love, He can really love us. We're going to go out with the implications of that when we talk about marriage and parenting and friendship and so forth. But for right now, just remember, God doesn't need you. He wants you. Isn't that beautiful? And then thirdly and lastly, God and no other is our real life. Ed and Amy were great friends of Rachel and mine in seminary, and we spent a ton of time together. Um, we, as you know, couples went out a lot, were at each other's homes, even vacationed with each other. I mean, we were tight and pretty much inseparable. Uh, once we graduated seminary, a few months later... Uh, Amy came down with a, a brain tumor and went home to be with the Lord just months later. Didn't take long. And, you know, we were just grieving and, and just could not imagine. You know, um, Ed had, I think, three children that age. Yeah. Four. Wow. Four at that age, uh, or very young age. And Ed was alone with them. And we thought, how's Ed going to move on? How do we move on when we lose somebody that we really love? I mean, I think that's the reason a lot of us hold back from really loving and giving ourselves because we're afraid we're going to lose them. Because we've lost people. And I'm telling you, the older I get, the more true that is. Well, how can we love people with the thought of losing them? Francis Schaeffer uh, an old thinker, he's dead now. Uh, but he did a lot of thinking and writing on Christ and culture. And he talked about, Francis Schaeffer would say that if you want to know what the culture believes, look at, look at the lyrics of their songs. And so this week, I googled, uh, just can't live without you, uh, song lyrics, you know. And just about everybody big has written a song entitled, Just Can't Live Without You. You know, from Charles Wilson to Celine Dion to uh, Bono to a whole host of people. But I chose um, Justin Bieber to bring before you this morning. Just Can't Live Without You, you know. Um, here we go. Brace yourself. The big hit. I just sit here waiting for you to call. Then I wonder if you're even calling at all. So many, so, many thought, so many thoughts go through my mind. Wish you can be here all the time. Why? Because I'm lost without you. And I just 
doubt you, and I just can't doubt you, and there's everything about you, I just can't live without you. Oh, it gets better. I'm still sitting here waiting for much more. Text me or something, that's what he says. Uh, I can't take this, I'm walking out that door. So many thoughts go through my mind, wish you can be here all the time, because I'm lost without you, and I just can't doubt you. And there's everything about you, I just can't live without you. I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out, being with you is just no doubt. I'm going crazy, and there's nothing I should do. I can't, I can't live without you. That's enough, I think. If Francis Schaeffer's right, and I think he is, and I'm using a humorous illustration to prove the point, that's how we define love, and I think even in the church. Um, We think that what true love is, is to find somebody we can't live without. But dear friends, that's not love, that's idolatry. That's the very heart of sin. Uh, Sin finds something or someone that we can replace God with. Something that we can love, something that we can look to to bring a satisfaction that only God can, can really bring to us. And so do you see how complicated it gets when you talk about marriage or you talk about you know, finding somebody to marry, marry and friendship and parenthood and, and being a faithful child and all these complicated relationships because we think in our minds that, that it's somebody else's role to satisfy me when, dear friends, that's just idolatry and it's not love. And here's what happens. If you are loving or looking to your spouse to to bring the satisfaction that only God can bring, you're going to kill them or leave them because they can't do it. Do you want to know why you're so demanding? Do you want to know why you're so hurt? It's because you're looking to your spouse to give you something they were never made to give you, ultimately. Friendship. Friendship. Why do we get mad at friends? Why do we, you know, go through friends like I can go through a bag of Doritos, you know, we just kind of, we're friends with these people for a while and we, it's because we're looking to them to bring a satisfaction that only God can. We're not believing in that moment that the purpose of my relationship with you is to bring glory to God, to know Him better, and um, to, to let Him change us so that we might be good to somebody else as we become more like Him. You see, Ed is a believer. My friend Ed is a believer in Jesus. And he got married, and, and he got married pretty soon after his wife died. And, of course, all the women were, <laughs> you know, they were upset at him. Um, and I was kind of going, dude, you know, it is a little kind of kind of soon, you know, after your wife died. But you know what? The reality, he loved his wife, but she was not his God. And he had the right to move forward. Because he could look to God to give him all that he needed to love again. Is that how you relate to those around you? You see, I think when we believe that we've got to have somebody that's going to complete us perfectly and to be everything that we've always dreamed of, we're just setting ourselves up for, for major failure and disappointment. Um, because... You know, not only um, if you find somebody, are you setting yourself up and them for a major disappointment? Um, But if that person turns out to be somebody that satisfies you completely, you're in a worse place. (laughs) 
Um, this is what John Newton said, writer of Amazing Grace. He said this, he said, You may think your biggest problem, spiritually speaking, is the prospect of a bad marriage. But every bit of a spiritual danger is the prospect of a good marriage. You see, what John Newton was getting at is that we are looking for anything and everything to, uh, to replace the satisfaction that in the relationship with God, and who's the only one that can really bring us satisfaction. Therefore, it's not just the prospect of a bad marriage that is dangerous to us because our hopes are, oh, only a perfect marriage or only a perfect friendship or only, you know, whatever, only a perfect church or only perfect relationships can satisfy me. But when you are satisfied, then you have no need for God. So can you see... Why now? Only a Christian relationship. And there's got to be a better way to say this, um, because that is so used up in our day. Only a relationship in which we are properly relating to God can we properly relate to each other. And so before we go on, and as we go on, here's the question that we're going to constantly put before you. It's this. Are you reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? And has any relationship in your life taken precedence of that? You see, the reason you can't forgive somebody that's hurt you deeply, and I'm not demeaning, I'm not downplaying whatever hurt someone's brought to you, but the reason that you can't is because you don't believe in your heart of hearts that your ultimate relationship is God and that He is the one who brings you deep satisfaction. Because what you fear is letting that person off the hook. If you do that, then what's going to happen to you? Your father's going to care for you. That's what's going to happen to you. He is at work in that relationship. And for whatever reason, he is going to work in that relationship and he's called you to do his part. Not solve it, but to do what he's called you to do. And that's to extend forgiveness and love. So friends... Are you reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? In the beginning, God. Are you going to God through Jesus? And are you saying, I'm the sinner in this relationship, and you're God. And I love you because of your love for me through Christ. Because I know that I've sinned, and I fall short of your glory all day, every day. And yet I know that what you seek in me... And with me is reconciliation. See, the, the, the big thing is all of us are born in, as enemies of God. <laughs> I mean, all of us, hear that relational term? We are enemies. Our relationship with God is separated and we've got to be reconciled. Have you been reconciled to God through Christ? Do you know that He forgives your sins? That He's not going to hold you accountable for your sins, but He held Jesus accountable for your sins? Do you know that today? Is that a functional belief in your life? Do you see, you've got to literally believe it. That you might be freed and know that God is not mad and angry at you. He's a Father that loves and has adopted you. And He has dealt with your sin in His Son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, you are now reconciled to God. And Jesus has, has lived the life that the Father demands you live. He has said, here's the law. And Jesus said, I'm coming. I'll live under the law for Richard. 
so that now, Father, you can treat him as you do me because I've obeyed the law in his place. And now there's no condemnation for me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has bridged the gap and he has brought, he is the mediator who has brought us two together and he has solved the relationship that was, that was fractured. He's healed it. Do you understand and believe that this morning? Then, dear friend, live out of that in your relationships. Believe it. If God, we heard it in our prayer time, if God can forgive you, wrestle with that. Who do you need to forgive? If God can love you, who do you need to love? If God hasn't given up on you, who have you given up on? Do you see it? Take that relationship and live out of it, meditate on it, and then take it to whatever relationships are around you and God has brought you to. Oh, it's so beautiful. I wish I could say so much more, and we will over the next few weeks. But dear friends, if you're not a believer, come to Jesus. It's your only hope for understanding what you've been made for. And if you're in Jesus, then start living like you're in Jesus. Start believing the gospel that maybe you gave a nod to a long time ago. And church, let's start encouraging and confronting each other in love. Let's start building each other up. Let's do this thing. (laughs) Let's do relationship, Christian relationship together. That the world might see that there's a God who deserves glory as we bring good to each other and to the world. Because we've become more like Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the hope we have this morning. Oh, we're full of fear. We're full of doubt. And that's why we beg Your Spirit to come. Remind us that it's all about You. Remind us that You don't need us, but You want us. Remind us that, indeed, it is our relationship in You that is the power to love those around us. And there's hope for every marriage. There's hope for every single person. There's hope for every parent-child relationship. Uh, There's hope for every one of us in this room. May we believe it today. Lord Jesus, come and we look forward to what you're going to do at Downtown Church as we just give our hearts to you and say, here we are, but we need so much more. Uh, Come and change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.